0: So then, if you awaken from this illusion, persistence of vision. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Persistence of Vision podcast, the outer space, earthbound, underwater, super podcast about books that we read so that you have to read them too. My name is LB Dio, and I'm your host along with my guest host, Mr. Union Brooks. Hi, folks. Hey, 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 that's Union Brooks, super intern to the stars, and he's filling in for Lance Fever Myers. Speaking of Lance Fever Myers, have you read Lance Fever Myers' Clash of the
1: Christmas Clones? It's a story about Santa's. Being replicated, <laughs> what?
0: Yes, cloned Santas. Yes, and in, in many forms, including the forms of sharks. So, uh, if you want right. to read that book, and obviously you do, uh, you need to go to the POV website, which is pov-publishing.com and order it along with Lance's other novel, Why So Much, and my own book, The Goddamn Fool. Forgive me for such an offensive title. I simply could not help myself. Now, do you have anything to say in your own defense union?
1: Nope, except that both books are extraordinary, and you should get on POV-Publishing and buy them now.
0: Yes, did you hear that? Extraordinary, folks, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, Now... We're very excited because we're finally going to be talking about one of the most popular and beloved series of the modern age, the Game of Thrones uh, Song of Ice and Fire books by George R.R. Martin, of which Game of Thrones technically is the name of the first book. And uh, to discuss these books, we couldn't have asked for a better guest than Austin's own web jerome web welcome
2: hi thank you for having me i'm excited to be here
0: well we're excited to have you my goodness
1: yes ma'am
2: i hope you you have your nerd caps on and ready to nerd out with me
0: this nerd (laughs) cap doesn't come off yes (laughs) yes it is attached (laughs) And, uh, and what about your nerd cap? You're, a, you're not only an aficionado of these books, but you're also a, an actress and yes. uh, a superstar here in town. Tell us about some of your work you've done here very briefly.
2: Uh, I just finished As You Like It um, this past December with Austin Shakespeare, and then before that I did... Um, Robert Mueller's Greatest Hits. Robert (laughs) Mueller's Greatest Hits. I did that at Hyde Park, and then uh, also I did Death Tax at Hyde Park, and that's the latest things I I did.
0: Death Tax, what a great (laughs) play also. Uh, Well, yes, if you haven't been to Hyde Park Theater or to Austin Shakespeare, then shame on you and shame on this great republic. (laughs) Now then, uh, tell us, what is it about the Song of Ice and Fire series that so intrigued you? Web Jerome,
2: um, I just have an interest in the macabre in general. Mm. I am into anything dark, vampires, you name it. So, uh, fantasy calls to me just in general. So, just it being in the fantasy genre already pulled me towards it. But once I started reading it, um, I fell in love with George R. R. Martin's words because it seemed like the things he was writing were things that I would have written in my diary. It's like someone stole my diary and was like and were reading the contents out loud that's how i felt with so many of like the inner monologues of some of the characters mm-hmm. um and when it's not things that were seemingly from my own mind it was just the political intrigue and the plot i've never read such an intricate mind-boggling attention-grabbing plot um so so yeah.
0: if i were to to abscond with your diary i might very well read Accounts of a uh, uh, of a family being slaughtered yes. at a wedding and yes
2: uh, incest
0: giant dragons yes, dragons <laughs> Those zombies and- yeah.
1: yeah
0: zombies of course well naturally uh, uh, so so yeah so you 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 love the macabre and you love fantasy perhaps as a result of this and then needless to say there are thousands and thousands of fantasy books out there exactly. to choose from but these were particularly literary and particularly intricately plotted.
2: Yes, I think as of today, th- this is the best. Even better than Tolkien, this is the best fantasy. Uh, what do you call uh, Saga, mm. saga. Just like it, it, t- it takes the best from Tolkien. But it, uh, George R. R. Martin has a quote where because everyone is always comparing him to Tolkien, and he and he loves Tolkien, and he'll say himself that he's one of his inspirations, but. He said that one thing that inspired him to write Game of Thrones is it's kind of like an answer to Lord of the Rings. And like, okay so Aragorn is king. Cool. But what are his tax policies? Mm. And that's what kind of that's why George R. R. Martin wrote Game of Thrones like this, where it's like, yes, it's the fantasy. We we do have the king we want in power or maybe not. But it goes deeper than that. Here are his tax policies. Here's what he feels about day to day life. Yes. So it's kind of like that bridge between it's fantasy, but then it's also real life because yes, we have dragons and magic, but also people are going through miscarriages and bad marriages or can't raise their kids properly. Like real life things that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, taxes. Taxes. Okay. Tax, Tax codes. So real. Nothing, <laughs> nothing
1: realistic yeah. as realistic as taxes.
0: That's really selling the book there, Webb. <laughs> Tax codes.
1: I think that's one of the, ma- it's so amazing how he handles mundane activities yes. in life and just in the realm of some of the most brilliant fantasy events
2: yes and he'll spend a page just um going into the types of food at the feast like fowl roasted in an apple and it's like okay but is a family about to be slaughtered right now because I, what is going on right. so yeah he de- definitely doesn't skimp on the mundane and Day to day things, bowel movements are in there. If of you've course, have ever, ever wondered about that or women menstruating and what's that? Do what dragons
0: like. have bowel movements in the book?
2: <laughs> Not yet. The books aren't finished yet, so maybe that's true. We may be building, building up to the very, days.
0: very <laughs> best part. Okay, so so you you've talked a little bit about why you love the books, but why should I or Union or our listening audience, why would they love the books?
2: Why? I think there's something in it for everyone. Um, I fell in love with the TV series first and then I got into the books. So even from the TV series, I just felt like anyone from any walk of life would love it from a librarian to a biker to a thug on the street. Like there's something in it for all of them. There's a character that they can relate to or something that happened that I think it could be uh, the book to unify everyone on Earth, actually. Uh. The answer to world peace wow. is uh,
0: well, <laughs> in I the series. I, <laughs> it's high time that someone wrote <laughs> a book for thugs.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think for like self-swords are just like, you know, modern day thugs, right? Like right. whoever's paying them the most and killing his life. Like, I don't know.
0: Okay. So these are, these are novels. Mm. Yes. What are they about?
2: so um it, it depends on who you ask. Some people might say it's um a statement on war. Mm-hmm. some might say it's a love story. Mm-hmm. some might say it's a story about destiny and uh fulfilling or not fulfilling it. you know um I think it's about all those things um it's about it's, i think yes, definitely it's a statement on war mm-hmm. and uh the effects of it and how you have these big politicians that want to go into it for whatever reason, noble or not, but they don't suffer. It's always the small folk that suffer. Um, I think it makes a statement on love, on what it is to be in love and whether it matters that you're in love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about destiny, about choosing your own destiny or letting it be written for you and just, you know, going along with, with the flow.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's about, it's about, though, a fictitious world, yes. right, uh, where there are two continents... Essos and Westeros—is that right? Yes. There's
2: also Sothrios, which is it look, kind of looks like Africa, which mm. hasn't been traveled. And then, the map isn't finished,
1: okay.
2: Because with George R. R. Martin's works, even like um, his Encyclopedia Companion works are still written mm-hmm. in the voice of the Maesters, and the Maesters are the scholars of this world. So, for example, um, there's uh, the World of Ice and Fire, which is like this encyclopedia, which is like the Silmarillion, mm-hmm. and so is Fire and Blood. So it's just kind of like a, an encyclopedia of what happened before. But um, there's one passage, since it is written by a maester, where this big event is happening and literally four kings die at this event. And the maester has spilled ink on that page. So you are just reading like, the great night, and then blank, blank, blank. Right. Fire, oh, yeah. blank, blank, <laughs> millions killed, blank, blank, blank. Who started it? And then so even, even his wow. answer to our questions are still more questions because he... Well, that's, he, he that's the <laughs> nature
0: it, yeah. of ancient history in our world, at least, right.
2: as well. So you never know Fragments right. come down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in a lot of ways, it's a saga about history and kind of like family. Yes. The people involved and the characters and how all their stories are intertwined.
2: Yes, it's like a multi-generational book. Well, it's kind of about... Um, Tyrion has a quote about... The sins of the father and how like children um, were products of our parents. And like everything that we are doing is because something that our parents did, whether it be like a big thing or small thing Mm -hmm. and how you can try to escape that. Be like, I don't want to be like my father. But you end up being like him Mm -hmm. or you can embrace that and be like, I want to be just like my father. And like wanting that so bad is what leads to your downfall. Right. Um. So like either way, you're
1: screwed Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) a lot of of people
0: get screwed in this book don't they
1: yeah i hear that's a a running theme is everybody's screwed no
2: one's safe no
1: one's no one's safe safe. and that's
2: another thing i like about this book is because it just it doesn't matter who you are this book will surprise you just with like all the the turns you think it's going this way or the hero has to win because in all the other books i read they they won and the person who does the right thing or the person does the, the the wrong things you think they should have this end and sometimes they do yes. and sometimes they don't and it's just you never know like it's it's great it's great if you like to be teased i guess mm-hmm. this is the book for you because you will never feel satisfied you will always be wanting more or like hoping for more or waiting for an answer to your question it's Read this book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, books. The, uh, the series has been controversial to some extent. I remember there was an episode where one of the characters, uh, Jamie Lannister, who is a s- fairly sympathetic character, I would say, even though he does some terrible things. He's likable, shall we say. Does that he's sound reasonable? Extremely likable.
2: He's um, very handsome in the show. <laughs>
0: he's <laughs> handsome on the show. <laughs> okay.
2: And in the books, too, but... That's what I'll say about Jamie. But in any
0: case, he <laughs> he he is reunited with his sweetheart, whom we won't name. But he rapes her, and uh, there was a, a great uproar among fans, uh, especially female fans, I think, that this character, whom they sort of like despite his flaws, was committing this egregious act. And there didn't seem to be any negative consequences. And uh, and I remember George R. R. Martin did issue a bit of an apology. What do you think about the extent of the brutality in this books, in these books?
2: I just think it's life. Everything that happened in, in these books, I feel like, have happened in real life. From, like, mm-hmm. the most heinous rapes and acts against man, which happened in this book. You know, I think that at some point it happened, it happened to someone somewhere. So I think, like, um, that's human life. Like, it, being human is disgusting. And it's horrible and it's macabre. And, like, for him to go there and to not be afraid to show, like... how evil a person can, like the darkest part of you is is brave. And I think that's what makes the book so compelling because uh, there is fantasy, there's dragons and everything, but the worst things that happen is what people do to each other in the books. Yes. The worst acts, you know, so.
0: And yet the people are not so easily divided into villains and heroes, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. they can't be. It's
2: impossible because humans are not heroes or villains. We're always a little bit of both. Right. Or, like, more of one or more of the other.
1: It, it, well, I was going to ask, I, I, talking about this with friends, a lot of people asked me if they think certain characters who've done horrible things in earlier, uh, in earlier books and have kind of turned it around is, like, are these good characters? Are these good people now, even considering the evils of their past? It's... Um, what what do you think that says about character development? Can people change? Do people change, or is it?
2: Yes and yes. Yes, people can change, and yes, they do change. But sometimes they change back, which right. is another thing in the story. Like going to the show, a lot of people were upset that Jamie character you just mentioned went through this big character arc where he went from a bad person to a good person and then in the end he goes back to a bad person and people are like well that's a waste of his character arc but it's like no that's human nature Mm -hmm. sometimes you spend your whole life doing the right thing and then you do something bad and that leaves leads down another path and you you go back to being good or it could go any way that's the thing about human nature we're constantly evolving today i could do the right thing tomorrow i might take the red light the next day i might give to the homeless and the next Day, I could do something horrible like you just Steal never know arms. and mm. I think it's what these books have taught me it's like it's futile and trying to box people into good or bad it's just about knowing that it's fluid like how everyone says certain things are fluid now but I think character is fluid mm. and whether someone is good or bad so I think that's what Dr. R. r Martin is showing us is that like he's showing us a good character then flipping it, showing Mm -hmm. us a bad character and flipping it, showing like, don't get married to the idea that this person is good Mm -hmm. or bad. That's not what's important here. What's important is something else that I haven't figured out yet. (laughs) But yes.
0: But very broadly speaking, the book is about the, this fictitious world again Yes. that has these, uh, at least in Westeros, the main setting for the book, uh, for the books, the, it's a medieval feudal type of world where, the political power is divided between the monarchy and the lords. And the lords have what they call houses. Yes. Which are their estates, their armies, their... Identities. Political nation states. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so there's a Westeros king, at least at the beginning. Yes. And then you have these these feudal, monor- feudal n- uh, nobility. Exactly. And most of the characters... Well, actually, it's not true. I was going to say most of the characters fall into the nobility or the monarchy, but there are a great many characters who are...
2: Peasants. Peasants but or soldiers. The peasants, they've somehow were, uh, gotten in with the nobility. So even the peasants aren't really peasants, mm-hmm. um, except for the sex workers, which they're, they're just peasants. But, um.
0: <laughs> and the, <laughs> there's also clergy, of course. Yes. Which is interesting because it's not a Christian world, but there are some, some religious... One particular religious order that's very Christian-like in the many ways—the faith ways. of the seven. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was thinking of that. This, yeah, the faith of the seven, but that that o- very powerful or- order—the that the yeah. follow the Red God. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh no, no. Also,
1: uh, well, there's several religions, yes. aren't there? That kind of clash. Like, there's old gods. There's the that old, are gods. Of there's the the old gods.
2: There's the old gods. There's the faith of the seven, which is like the main uh, religion. Which George R. R. Martin grew up extremely Catholic, so it's what that's based on. Then there is the drowned god, which is what um, the pirates, okay. um, the Iron Islands—that's that's what they believe, in, which is also kind of based on Christianity because it has uh, their main thing is that they drown people, and if you come back to life through CPR, then like you're okay. <laughs> but it's like that's another thing that George R. R. Martin's an atheist, and everything, all his statements about religion are just basically showing how far you'll go for religion, and then he mm. kind of pulls back the curtain and shows that there isn't no re- there is no religion, like, mm-hmm. I brought you back because of CPR, Right. But in those days, they didn't realize that pumping the chest is what brought the person back, mm-hmm. they're thinking it's, it's their God, um,
0: that's a marvelous little, uh, <laughs> development in there, this religion about, about drowning people being resuscitated, yes. yeah,
2: so he does that a lot where he'll show something magical and then provide you with a scientific answer,
0: yeah.
1: so very cheeky. Is there something? Uh, I guess I, I want to ask about the three eyed raven. And is this oh, the, magic sort of religious or is it more of? A- so
2: the three eyed ra- raven is the old gods. Okay. From what we understand so far, so okay. it's so the old gods is kind of just like um, kind of like an internet connection of trees. All there's like these big uh, trees called weirwoods, which are white and then they have red leaves and they have faces on them. The leaves are actually shaped like your hands, like five fingers. So it's supposed to look like a person's head because the trunk is the head coming out of the ground and like the leaves are their hands and it's like Mm. monstrously pulling forward uh, type of thing. But um, all the trees, they're giant trees that live forever and underneath the ground across the entire continent, they're actually interlocked. Oh, wow. All the roots are interlocked. And... um, because of that, there's like also like these massive tunnel, underground tunnels that nobody knows about, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things. Is it magic, that um, the three-eyed raven, or is mm-hmm. it just the fact that all these trees are connected? So if you're connected mm-hmm. to one tree in the north, you can access the memories of a tree in the south. Whoa. And that's what Bran is doing, is anything that takes place in front of a weirdwood tree, he's privy to that knowledge, because the trees have eyes. They can see that. They can see all the marriages. They can see all the murders. Anything that happened in front of these trees. Um
0: Bran is the one of the signs Bran, of yeah. the house Stark, which is we talked about the lack of heroes and and villains, but the Stark family is
2: they're painted as about the heroes. as close
0: as you get to heroic in this book.
2: Yes, hmm. yes. And I would say that they're the main family as mm. well. Or like if you want to there's George R. R. Martin says there's no main character, but a lot of people would say the Starks are or like Bran is. But, um, yeah, so that's what Brand does is people say it's magic' because he can see in the in the past and the future, but is it just a type of science that we're not mm-hmm. understanding, like a tree prototype of the internet? Right, right.
0: I actually like to think about what you know what is the the you know the how long has the world been around no, like six or seven thousand years is that Oh, right?
2: yeah, well, that's the thing we don't know because everything is written by the maesters. and yes. Oh, yeah. So, so, so far they have it at 8,000 years.
0: 8,000. Okay. So that's interesting but, because yeah. that's about how long human civilization in our world has been around right? since the... Exactly. I mean, the, you have agriculture appearing about 10,000 years ago, but then the city states and so forth that began to emerge in the countries and things like that really are about 8,000 years old. And it's interesting to think about in his, in Martin's world, this 8,000 years has resulted in a... <clears throat> a world that's, that's most comparable in our world to about 5 600 years ago right where you have the middle ages that's all it's a very medieval yeah. style like most fantasy it has a medieval style so they're style. like
2: dragging their feet basically in Westeros with developing. right which is but it's
0: interesting that if they're dragging their feet because there's a lot more um, there's magic in this world there's mm-hmm. there's things like the three-eyed raven and the dragons that are don't exist in our world and therefore that might explain why there hasn't been as much of a push for an industrial revolution or for a scientific revolution, mm-hmm. because it's possible to accomplish a lot of things that we wouldn't have been able to accomplish in, the, in medieval times or even in the Renaissance in their world where you have magic and and you could like and they have this system of ravens just to give a very yes. simple example where we, you can to give too. news mm-hmm. yeah but i think that i don't think it was ever quite as effective yes. I and mean, like there really is almost like uh email yeah. or something you can it is. you can reliably get a message to the other side of the continent in a matter of what days at any time you want and it's not even something you worry about yes. which you know we had carrier pigeons but it's not like they were nearly that effective yes mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're able to do things that our society at that civilizational level are not we're not able to do. We
2: had to answer it with with um science and technology. Yes. And they don't have to. I get what you're saying. That's I never thought about that. But I have thought about well, there's a fan theory that says that the reason that there's such a you know, being around for eight thousand years and not um progressing like we have is because there's a fan theory that The story we're reading now is Mm post-apocalyptic. So uh, George R. R. Martin says that, um, we call it planetos because he hasn't given a name to it yet. But planetos, he says that it's like uh, Earth, but like um, in another dimension, like another, you know, thousand worlds theory. Mm -hmm. Like if something in our Earth's history would have went another way, we would have been Western. Right. If a butterfly
0: had flapped its wing the other way, it would have gone. So
2: it's Earth, but because something in the distant past happened differently, they ended up how they ended up. But so they had their big apocalypse and then everyone had to start over. So that's why it seems like, so they're Mm -hmm. thinking that like all of the magic is leftover technology. Like the tree roots Mm -hmm. I was talking about could have been some sort of permanent version of the internet Mm -hmm, that we got to, or even the dragons. Um, The legends say that this group uh, found them and tamed them in in, vol- in uh, volcano crevices. Mm-hmm. So think about it, like maybe you know there's like lizards that mutated f- because of uh, a nuclear war. Mm-hmm. That like you know it, it's it's always kind of like that's how George R. R. Martin writes. He writes so open that like you can always kind of speculate. Make, speculate, make your own fan theories. I just went off on a tangent there. Sorry. No, that's a great but- <laughs> tangent. Good one. But that would kind of explain why. But the thing that's similar to them is that um, when you're reading the histories, everything is wrong. Things that don't make sense, which is purposely like that because they are written by man. But um, it's funny that when I think back to 8000 years ago, there's no way we as Earthlings could say what happened because we don't have the written... Words and, and the, mm. the words that we do have, we can't really decipher them. Mm. So, like, and really like
1: conflicting accounts.
2: Exactly. And, so, it's the same thing with Westeros. The reason their history is so muddled is because, same thing, like, you can't really go back that far and give, like, a distinct answer to mm-hmm. what happened because,
0: like, you might it's know what far. countries there were yeah. and that they fought some wars, but you don't know very detailed information about their lives.
2: Yeah. So, I, I like that link.
0: So a lot of the people who are listening have not read these books, but have seen the TV shows. Have you, have you, uh, can you give us some indication of what might be the differences between the TV show and the, and the books?
2: Well, I will say like, especially Game of Thrones, um, uh, the, the season one, um, of game of Thrones in book one is like the most I've ever seen a show or movie follow a book series. Hmm. Like literally the that. words that you're reading is the lines that the actors said.
1: I noticed reading yes. that. And I just thought it was so creepy. Like it was, it's kind of creepy. It's but almost like I've read this before. <laughs> yes,
2: But then, but then as the starting with like the third book, then the plot kind of changes because hmm. they left out about like, I'll say two thirds of the characters. Wow. Mm. Yeah. There are so many characters in the books. Um, Minor characters, but then big characters that have huge plot elements. Like one of them is Lady Stoneheart. Um, she is Catelyn Stark. Mm. So at the end of The Red Wedding. Um, so, okay, I'll, I'll mention two things left out of the book that's actually wrapped into one. Two for one. Here we go. So the first thing, um, circling back, the first thing is like all the Stark children can warg, not just Bran. Warging is being able to put your mind in the mind of an animal and controlling that animal. Mm-hmm. So in the show, only Bran can do it. But in the books, all the Stark children can do it except Sansa, who lost okay. her wolf early on. Now, do they also
1: have the power to, like, see the past or, or no. just the animal?
2: That's just the three-eyed raven that can do that, that okay. can see the, the past and the future because of their connection to the weirwoods. Right. That's but warging right. is just jumping into the skin of an animal. Right. If you're born with the gift, you can do it. Right. It's rare that, you know, all five children are born with it. But I think that's the point that George R.R. Martin is making is, like, pay attention to these kids. Mm. So so all the Stark children can warg, and there's actually the scene where Arya is in the mind of her wolf, Nymeria, and she sees something floating in the water, and she pulls it out of the stream and it's her mother. Mm. Her dead mother. Wow. Which is Catelyn Stark. This is right after the Red Wedding. So she pulls her from the stream onto the banks. She, as her wolf, hears men coming, so she scampers away. The men coming happen to be um the Brotherhood Without Banners. And they have, you know, Thoros of Myr with him and Beric Dondarrion. And Beric Dondarrion sees her, recognizes it's Catelyn Stark, and he gives her the kiss of death, which he breathes fire into her mouth, and she comes back alive, and he dies. Mm -hmm. So she um, cannot talk because they slit her throat, But um, she can kind of gurgle and like whisper and like people know what she's saying. So she becomes this huge revenge character who's not even human anymore. Just like this being that's full of revenge. Mm -hmm. And all she does is kill Freys and Lannisters. Mm. So it's like that's a big character to leave out of the show. And I understand why they did that. I didn't want I read about it and that was enough. I didn't want to see Lady Stoneheart. But I think. The fact that all the kids could warg was something that they should have left in the show. Mm-hmm. I get that they didn't want to confuse everyone mm-hmm. with you know them constantly jumping into the skins of you know animals, and they wanted to make Bran special. But just that moment of Arya being the one to pull her mother out of the stream is powerful when you're reading it. Like there's yes. like tears on the page and I was reading. I was like, no, <laughs> she's nine years old. She shouldn't be seeing this. But um, that that's the thing, you know, like wow. nine year olds sometimes have to see their dead parents so
0: so the really the uh the advantage of the books perhaps predictably is the the level of complexity and in the plotting and the the number of characters yes mm-hmm. that would not be practical to include in a TV show
1: exactly and, and it seems like the quality of writing is yes. just Yes. all around so good. Super and magnificent. obviously George R.R. doesn't have a budget on what he exactly. can write. Exactly, so yes. I'm excited to get into this yes. and read the last one because the disappointing yeah. TV show.
2: Hopefully by the time you finish the whole series, the sixth book will be out, which mm. is the one we've been waiting
0: for. Yeah, how long has it l- been that the fans have been waiting for the sixth book?
2: Um, For a long time, because three years ago, George R.R. Martin released sample chapters which sample chapters is supposed oh. to mean that like books written mm. so that was three years ago that he released the sample chapters
1: how many or just one or two
2: uh uh i think he released four okay. four um
0: but it's been like 15 it's been, years it's, it's not been like been two years time.
1: yes wow. those are since the sample long chapters. before
0: the, the the tv show came out
1: the last one in the series was like 2011. 2011,
0: when, yeah. Oh, is that really that recent?
2: That's well, that's the last book that came out, the fifth book, um, mm-hmm. "The Dance of the Dragons." But he started in '96, so it's like the first book came out in 1996. Right. So it's like oh. it's a long time to wait. And I know um, fans of the book who are refusing to watch the show until the books are finished. <laughs> so they've they've literally been waiting 20 years since 1996 to figure out who Jon Snow's parents are because oh. they still don't know. Mm. Like this is like the level of dedication we're working with in this, in the series. But
0: well, it's an amazing thing that you you find when you create a world this complex and this real in its own way. You you earn the adulation and the commitment of
2: obsession. I would say obsession.
0: Obsession. Would you say that you were obsessed by these? I'm obsessed.
2: I close my eyes and I see this world. I was just saying before we started this podcast that I can. Name the Targaryen kings from the first to the present. I can't do that for our current U.S. presidents. <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Yeah, well. could, could you tell us a little bit about uh, this book he released about the Targaryen history?
2: Yes. As
1: a, it, it's connected with the A Song of Ice and Fire, isn't?
2: Yes. So let me just preface this by saying: so there's five main books. So if you're listening and like you haven't heard any anything about the Song of Ice and Fire. You start with the five main books, which is The Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, Storm of Swords, A Feast for Crows, and A Dance of Dragons. That just tells the main big Hollywood story about this family. And then there are the Tales of Duncan Egg, which are novellas. He plans on writing twelve. So far he's written three. And to the anger of all of his fans, he's writing them in between writing the main oh,
1: book no. series. <laughs>
2: So those kind of tell about 100 years before Game of Thrones. so they're just kind of like Mark Twain style, just like two unlikely characters, good cop, bad cop that are just out fighting crime type of thing. So very (laughs) feel good, not too much incest, not too much murder, just kind of like feel good novellas. And then he has the compendiums, which um, the first one is The World of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. which I read and loved. It's basically like an encyclopedia that just says everything you're missing. It'll list the Targaryen kings. It'll tell you about their policies. It'll tell you the houses, who was the first uh, lord, and what did their kids do.
0: And did he write these?
2: So the he's he's written all the narratives, like the tales of Duncan Egg which and the main five. But for the encyclopedias, he gets the help of Elio and Linda, mm. who are just two people... Well, they're like super fans in that um, when he wrote his second book, they actually emailed him and wrote to him before he is who he is now. And they're like, "Um, you said this character has green eyes and they actually have blue eyes. <laughs> and he, and they caught his mistakes. Right. Like, so from early on, he was like, okay, you guys are going to be on my, on my team. Yeah. And so, like, so they pretty much wrote um, the encyclopedia and also Fire and Blood because George doesn't have uh, the time or interest to kind of go in and nitpick the things like eye color Mm -hmm. and hair color, which he often messes up. Mm. So he'll write it and then they'll kind of proof it. And cause they know the history is more than him and he'll say that. So I have fire and blood here. Um, It's the first volume. The second one is going to come out someday. Um, And this is basically like a history, but it is only the history of the Targaryen rulers. Mm. So it's, it spans 300 years, which is when, the first Targaryen ruler united Westeros. So they mm. instead of being kingdoms, they became one nation. Yeah. So that's kind of where... The, 300 years ago is where you can say for sure that this happened. This is when everyone was writing. This is when you have eyes everywhere. So 300 years ago, everything that happened in this book happened. But then as opposed to like the world of ice and fire, which they're talking about things that are 8,000 years ago, which is kind of like hearsay and it's like there's no way to know because that was before written history. So... um Fire and Blood is a good book, but it won't mean anything to you until you've read the entire series and you're hungering for more. Because this is just like.
0: So, this is great for the addicts who have devoured every single word (laughs) of these books.
2: Yes, yes.
0: Need the fix. Okay, (laughs) speaking of addicts uh, and things that have nothing to do with addiction. I'm starting to see the sky getting a little darker. Is there, before the lightning round is upon us, did you have any uh, anything else you'd like to tell us about these books or anything else?
2: Um, I actually prepared a little uh, excerpt to read.
0: Oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for, for being on top of that because I obviously was not.
2: So, um, yes. Yeah, so out of like the five books, plus the three novellas, and the two encyclopedias, I'm trying to think of like what work could express um, uh, Song of Ice and Fire or what, what it's about. So I chose this um, piece. It's it's actually in the show. Uh, it's probably word for word in the show because it's just brilliant writing. Um, but it kind of just gives you an idea of like the themes that we're working with um, in the show. So I will read it now.
0: Excellent. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, an excerpt from the Song of... Ice and Fire yes. by George R. R. Martin as read by Webb Jerome. And maybe this is a great opportunity to make an announcement also. Okay. Webb Jerome, as you can tell, is an excellent scholar and has a, a wonderful voice. And she has agreed to read the audiobook for my own novel, the goddamn fool. Oh, I see the look of extreme surprise <laughs> on Union's face. I don't think anyone knows. I don't think even Webb knew this. What the? So, uh, <laughs> yes, so this Amazing. is extremely exciting, and I'm sure you agree, ladies and gentlemen. So, yes, let's go ahead, and, and why don't you read that excerpt for us?
2: Okay, so this is from A Clash of Kings, which is the second book, and um, there are no chapters. It's just... Uh, um, There's just, it just says the character heading. So this would be Tyrion two in a room, sit three great men, a king, a priest, and a rich man with his gold between them stands a sellsword, a little man of common birth and no great mind. Each of the great ones bids him slay the other two. Do it, says the king, for I am your lawful ruler. Do it says the priest, for I command you in the names of the gods. Do it, says the rich man, and all this gold shall be yours. So tell me, who lives and who dies? The king, the priest, the rich man. Who lives and who dies? Who will the swordsmen obey? It's a riddle without an answer, or rather too many answers. All depends on the man with the sword. And yet, he is no one, Barry said. He has neither crown nor gold nor favor of the gods. Only a piece of pointed steel. That piece of steel is the power of life and death. Just so. Yet, if it is the swordsmen who rule us in truth, why do we pretend our kings hold the power? Why should a strong man with a sword ever obey a child king like Joffrey or a wine sodden oaf like his father? Because these child kings and drunken oafs can call other strong men with other swords. Then, These other swordsmen have the true power, or do they? Whence came their swords? Why do they obey? Varys smiled. Some say knowledge is power. Some tell us that all power comes from the gods. Others say it derives from law. Yet that day on the steps of Baylor's sept, our godly high septon and the lawful queen regent and your ever so knowledgeable servant, were as powerless as any cobbler or cooper in the crowd. Who truly killed Edard Stark, do you think? Joffrey who gave the command? Sir Illan Payne who swung the sword? Or another? Tyrion cocked his head sideways. Did you mean to answer your damn riddle, or only to make my headache worse? Very he smiled. Here then, power resides where men believes it resides, no more and no less. So power is a mummer's trick, a shadow on the wall. Varies murmured. Yet shadows can kill, and oft times a very small man can cast a very large shadow. Ooh! Yes.
0: Outstanding! <laughs> clap, just, clap! Clap! Clap, <laughs> clap! 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 Clap!
2: No, I just love that excerpt because it just kind of. This is a question that I didn't know the answer to, and I'm actually curious to hear your your you two answers. You two gentlemen's yeah. answers, um, as to. Where power resides, because it's it's this is what the book essentially is about, power it's, and, and choice too. Because it's like yes, you are. Imagine that you are a cell sword with that sword, and these three people are telling you to use it. Like who, who would you choose? The priest who's telling you that my god, our god is telling you to do this. The king who, or president, or the law is telling you to do it, or is it the rich man? Something that that you will gain from it. Like it could be money, but it could be a position. Mm. Um and I think that's the question that we are faced every day.
0: Yes. Well what is your answer, Union?
1: I think the power resides in choice because the guy who chooses is the guy in charge. Right? The cell so, sword has the power exactly. because he can
0: choose. That's it, your answer.
1: He can also just walk away from those guys. Hopefully. No, he can't. Depending on the <laughs> not can't,
2: He can't walk away. This is feudal society. Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> well, maybe he can. Just maybe that's... Away.
2: But that, there's a consequence in walking away, right?
0: Well, there's a consequence to all the choices, though. Exactly. Like he becomes... He gives up the opportunities of wealth if he doesn't follow the rich the man. rich man. Gives up his peace of mind, at least, if he doesn't follow the priest. The priest. And he puts himself on the foul side of the law if he doesn't obey the... The king so' really he doesn't really have a, a good choice, but right. walking away is just another bad choice,
2: right, because mm-hmm. even if you go with the king, now you have the priests on your bad side.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: if you go if, if anything there's it just shows that there's repercussions no mm-hmm. matter what you choose. I
0: it's guess interesting, yeah there's a there's that sort of Mohandas Gandhi interpretation would say that the choice or the power comes from the willingness to be punished. Mm that if you if okay. you say I don't care what the consequences are for me I'm going to do what I want to do Whereas In Gandhi's case that would be to do the right thing quote unquote uh he would say yes if we're willing to be punished for our choices then we truly are free mm. so that's one way of looking at it i guess it's that like, goes back to who Thoreau. will punish
2: me less <laughs> or no no or or
0: who who has the power he, you know like a Thoreau or a Gandhi might or a Martin Luther King would say no it's not a question of who will punish me less. It's a question of my willingness to be hurt or even destroyed For in order to have the ability to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And that the person who who is going to kill me after I make that choice doesn't really have any power at all right. unless I give it to him.
1: Okay. I can see that. In most real situations, I probably go with the rich guy. The rich guy? <laughs> go with the money.
0: Not me. I would go with the law. I
2: think yeah, I think I as much as I hate to say I think I'd go with the law.
0: Yeah, like so. if a rich guy said, hey, go kill someone for me, mm-hmm. you might think about it for a minute, but you'd probably think, well, I'm likely going to go to jail if I do this.
2: Uh-huh. Unless those riches take you off to an island.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if rich, you'd listen <laughs> to the rich guy's proposal.
1: <laughs> At least hear him out. But in feudal society, I don't know. Yeah, same I, thing. Feudal society,
0: you know, a guy could get you, spirit you away. But Well, in Macbeth, for example, we have not, not quite feudal society, but we have... Uh, the Macbeth hires killers to do his bidding, so that happens, and they're clearly on the wrong side of the law. But, uh, yes, yeah, so now I'm almost positive that the sky is <laughs> pitch black and there's lightning, lightning. Oh boy. and thunder going on.
1: Web, are you ready for the lightning round?
2: As ready as I'll ever be. All right.
1: Tell <laughs> us, what. when was the first time you fell in love with a book?
2: Um, probably... The first book that I like went to sleep with and like held to my chest would be um Matilda. Love I Matilda. yeah, I love Roald Classic. Dahl. Yeah. I read him a lot as a child so probably that one. I wanted to be Matilda so bad. Uh
1: has a book ever changed your mind?
2: Um probably every book. Uh <laughs> Books change my mind like TV changes like the regular person's mind. <laughs> um uh um, probably the first one that changed my mind would be, um, uh, number of the stars. Um, that's a number of the stars. It's like a, a it's middle school, ho- yeah, middle school Holocaust book basically. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but it
0: just yeah, kind of, I remember
1: reading that in middle school. Yes. Yeah, so just What really,
0: did it change your mind about?
2: Uh, consequences of war or like mm. what war is. Mm. Like uh, at that time, I, my conception of war was like brave men on this side with swords, mm. brave men on that side with swords, and we fight a fair battle. But then mm. reading that book, there were, there were no soldiers. Well, there were soldiers in the concentration camps, obviously, but, I mean, there were no soldiers being hurt mm. in that book. It was yes. just regular people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that kind of changed my interest, Interesting, my fantastic
1: book. Has a book ever changed your life?
2: Probably this saga right here, Uh Saga of Ice and Fire, just because it just changed, like, how I think about things and how I think about people, like, the grayness of people. I was very naive before reading this series, and Mm. even as an adult, like, I just still thought that people were good, and they're Mm. not. (laughs) They're not. They're not. They're they're vile, vile. Present uh, company (laughs) excluded.
1: Thank you. Oh, man. Has a book ever made you cry?
2: Um... Yes. Many times. I think the first book that made me cry that I can think of, uh, was Harry Potter. Uh, I think the fourth book where, um, what's his name gets killed? Cedric. Cedric. Yes. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> I was like 12. I'm like, why is that person dying in my 12 year old book? Uh, so that was, a uh, that was a big deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, can you name a book you've read more than once?
2: Um, other than this saga, which I'm on my fourth reread of the whoa, whole thing, whoa, whoa. Um, other than a uh, uh, book of Everyone's, um, *Hitchhiker's Guide*. Oh, okay. Uh, Interesting. Awesome. Yes, yeah. yeah, no, we've awesome. covered that on it's the a show. i you know,
0: that.
2: Um. Yeah.
1: Um, Excellent. Do you have any poetry committed to memory?
2: Why, of course I do. I'm a scholar. <laughs> 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 beans, beans.
0: Oh no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're good for your heart. The more you eat, the more you fart.
0: Well, done indeed. Uh, I uh one one doesn't know what to say. <laughs> Love it. Well, this has been a fantastic interview and uh we've we've really covered the gamut, haven't we, especially at the lie. very end there. Mm-hmm. Uh any final thoughts from any of us?
2: Um, definitely read this saga. Whether you're a librarian, a thug, or a biker, there's something in it for you. I will warn you, though, that the only caveat is that you must have some free time on your hands. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I recommend the audiobooks. Um, mm. Actually, one of the actors on the show uh, did the audiobooks, Roy um, he's He's... Huh? Who do you play? He just played a pyromancer. Not okay. a big part, just a pyromancer. But, um. cool, cool.
0: Well, isn't there <laughs> one more caveat about these books? I mean, don't you think that there are some people who might th- find them too disturbing to enjoy? I'm
2: trying to think of the triggers. Um,
0: I'll, I'll give you a few. Yeah. All the uh, Rape, incest violent murder, extreme torture, uh, people being flayed alive, people being castrated, which happens quite frequently. Uh, some people might find those to be emotionally
1: difficult. Just a little,
2: Yes. But I watched the human centipede. So I think I'm, <laughs> I was pretty
1: numb too. <laughs> I, get, I got to the diagrams and I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> so yeah.
0: All right. So if you can handle the human centipede folks, you can handle the song of ice and fire.
2: I'm sure George R. would love to hear that. (laughs) Yes, he would be very grateful to hear
0: it. All right. Well, we want to thank our very wonderful guest, Webb Jerome. Do you have any uh, upcoming performances to tell us about?
2: No, not yet. Just um, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to talk about my favorite uh, books ever Um, and get to reading folks. I hope I convinced you. If not, uh, find me on social media and I, will berate you until you read them.
0: Yes, <laughs> she will do it. And uh, you, Union,
1: any thoughts? Uh, don't forget to check out our website, pov-publishing.com. You can buy LB's book, The Goddamn Fool, or you can buy Lance Myers, Why So Much. We missed you, Lance. Or Lance Myers, Clash of the Christmas
0: Clones. And we did miss you, Lance. Lance will be back soon. Uh, and... Uh, I I can assure you that he is—he is fine. He is doing okay. There's nothing going on with Lance that you need to worry about. We love you, ladies and gentlemen, and we love the books. So keep it real.